Well, what we've been doing this summer is giving you an opportunity to select the questions we discuss. I know it's kind of different, but it is summer, and in summer you do different things. This is the last installment on this series entitled Good Question. I'd love to hear your questions. We've narrowed the list down to about four that have been submitted, and now you get to select the two that we're going to consider under the theme of the hereafter the hereafter. Thoughts about heaven? Thoughts about death? Thoughts about grief? Thoughts about the transition from this life to the next? As promised, a joke a week. <laughs> so here's today's joke. I thought since we'll be talking about heaven, we needed a heaven joke. So was, there was this couple, been married 60 years. God took them to heaven at the same time. They were so excited to go on their first tour of the new kingdom. And Peter showed them the sparkling water, the fruitful trees, the never-ending beauty. They felt within their body the robust new body that God had given them with which they would serve him forever in the new kingdom. He even showed them the house, the place he had prepared for them. It was spectacular. And golf courses everywhere, fishing everywhere, everything a person could ever want. And so the, finally at the end of the tour, Peter said to the couple, well, what do you think? And the man turned to his wife and said, I am so mad at you. She said, why are you mad at me? He said, last 10 years you've been making me eat those, that brand cereal and those vitamins. I would have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> there is something about that joke that reveals something that we think about heaven. We don't often think about heaven as a place with real water and a real house and real beauty, but really we should. And I'm going to get to that point because I already know what our last question is going to be. It's coming from the video from our West Side campus. So we're going to talk about the real body in the real heaven that awaits us. But first, you get to select a couple of questions. I've wondered what it would be like if you were to stop people on the sidewalk and ask them the question, what happens after we die? Here are some answers that we heard. I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I believe we go into a state of, uh, how you say, waiting, like purgatory. Oh, you go to heaven? To be honest, I really don't know. I'm gone. Disappear. End of life. I think they go to either heaven or hell. After you die, um, I think your spirit comes out and you live a spiritual life. Food for worms. You become food for worms. That's not very positive, is it? <laughs> well, this whole question of death and the next life is one that captivates us, and well, it should. Here are some questions that come up under this conversation. They're not easy ones. A neighbor's child just died. What can I tell them? What does God think of suicide victims? I lost a loved one years ago. Why do I still grieve? Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, is he? Your votes are coming in. Just text 22333. 
You can vote for two at one time. You can vote for two at one time. We'll take a couple of minutes for you to cast your votes. time I'm not surprised that the suicide question would be selected it's been selected first in every service that may surprise you. It used to, I think it would have surprised me, but after years as a pastor, I've realized that this is a, one of those questions that kind of lurks down in the darkness, seldom addressed, but often pondered. It's pondered by those who have a friend who took his or her life, especially pondered by those who have a family member who took his or her life. And they've wondered, could I have done something different? What led them to this point? And then the question, what does God think? Here's some thoughts I have. I think that victims of suicide have battled life's rawest challenges. I believe that something in their mind has taken them to the point where they think that there is no solution for their problem. I believe that they have lived for a period of time with a season of darkness that is so black, so endless, that what you and I assume, what you and I take for granted, somehow they reached a point where there was no hope in their heart. You and I know if we pass through a hard time, there is a silver lining on the cloud. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a rainbow on the other side of the storm. These are more than just figures of speech to us. We know we pass through hard times. But somehow we know that we're going to get through this. That somebody's going to help us. That God's going to be waiting on us. Somehow this point fails to register in the mind of a person who takes their life. Depression causes a person to make a bad choice. And let's be clear, suicide is a bad choice. There is nothing good in it. Just ask the family members who now try to pick up the pieces. Just ask the children who live forever with the question, is it my fault? Or the wife who always wonders, did I contribute to this? Suicide is the bad choice. It is not God's will. I want to be very clear. It is not God's will. God is the giver of life. God is the taker of life. According to Psalm 139, 
All of our days were written in his book before one of them came to be. God has determined the day our entry into the earth. He determines our day that we exit the earth. And he does not ask us to orchestrate our departure. It is not his will. So where does that leave us? What does God think of someone who takes their own life? Are we left with the nightmarish conclusion that this fatal decision is a spiritually fatal decision? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so for several reasons. Number one, our God is a good God. And our God loves every person. And our God is a God who gives forgiveness for mistakes, even if that mistake is one in which a person takes their life. I believe that the same grace that covers the sins that you and I commit every day is the grace that would cover even, yes, even that sin. So I would be one to give you hope. I would be one to give you hope that God does not grade a life according to one decision and neither should we but I want to be very clear if I'm talking to anyone who is considering suicide you need to know that is not the solution there is hope there are answers there is a great God who will stand with you. There is a God who loves you. He wants to use you. And thoughts about suicide do not come from God who gives life. They come from Satan who loves to steal and rob and take. And he wants to wreak nothing but devastation in your family. This will not solve a problem. It only creates a magnitude of problems in between services I've been stopped by three and four people one lady said 28 years ago my brother-in-law took his life and I've been living with it ever since 28 years of doubt and fear you don't want to do that you don't want to bring that into your family let God bring healing let God bring hope that is not the solution but what about if you're a family member or you have a family member who took their life what do you do now how do you move on well, number one, it's not your fault. Don't allow yourself to be sucked into that vortex of if I could have, I should have, if only I had. No, move on. Move on. That accomplishes nothing except paralyzing today. It's time for you to give that to God and move on. And then number two, frame the memory of that person in their good days, not their bad day. Don't frame their life in that one tragic departure. What they did was wrong, but it would be even it would be wrong for you to remember them only through that lens, only through that day. You go back through their lives and you find the one or two or 10 or 5,000 good things they did. Frame their life according to that and honor them in that way. I hope that's helpful. What was the second question? I lost a loved one years ago. Why do I still grieve? And that's really close to the one about a child who dies. So I think we can couple those together. Why do I still grieve? Because a part of you died with them. 
Because when we say goodbye to somebody, we're not saying goodbye to them. We're also saying goodbye to us. We're saying goodbye to all the future times that we would have together. We're burying not just their body, but we're burying the promises that came with their presence. Do not fear your grief and do not shortcut your grief. Give your grief all the time it needs. I believe we live in a culture in the United States that wants to shorten and truncate our grieving time. Bury the body and move on. But our bodies are not meant to work that way. Our emotions don't work that way. You take your time. Grief comes gradually over a period of time. It comes kind of like a headache. You're not sure why it comes, but you smell a perfume or you see a picture or you hear a song and all of a sudden that person is back in your life and you have to grieve it out one more time. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Take your time. Give yourself as much time as you need. Don't let the grief define you. But let the grief refine you. Let it, let it lift your eyes up into heaven and begin to remind you to think more and more about the brevity of this life and the beauty of the life that is to come. Grief can be a catharsis to lift us up off our fixation of this life and focus on the life that is to come. But what about somebody who, who buries a child, a, a neighbor, or a friend who buries a two-year-old or a four-year-old. What do we say in situations like that? Maybe wise not to say much, at least at first. It's better just to be present. Don't be absent, but be present. Stay nearby. Wait for opportunities to pray with them. Be guarded. It's not the time for platitudes or sermons. It's more time just to be present and to be near. But when you have an opportunity to speak or when it seems like the right time it is to speak, I find it very helpful to go back and address what is the fundamental question behind the crisis. And that is, is God a good God? That's really the question behind any crisis, isn't it? Did God stop being good? <laughs> I mean, my two-year-old is in a grave or my four-year-old died. How could a good God let this happen? How could a good God let this happen? His life was so short, or her life was so brief. Can I remind you that that language of a short life and a brief life, that's not God's language, but that's ours? We don't have those same kind of questions if we bury a grandmother who's lived to be 85 or a granddad who's lived to be 90. We don't say he lived such a short life. We say, oh, he lived such a good long life. Because we have expectations, don't we? That a good life is a long life. That a good life has many years. God's version of good and definition of good can be quality more than quantity. Could it be that God's goodness is demonstrated in a short life instead of a long life? Work with me on this. Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57. In verse 1. The righteous perishes 
and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous are taken away from evil. The righteous are taken away from evil. Could it be that in some cases God takes people away to spare them from a future evil? To deliver them from a future evil? We assume that the presence of death is a bad thing. Could it be that God who sees the future says, I'm going to take that person now to spare them from cancer, from murder, from disaster? That God in his perfect plan says, my plan is for this person to live a life of this number of years and accomplish my purpose with them. And when that purpose is finished, I will take them home. We use phrases like an abbreviated life or life interrupted or his life was cut short. But those are our phrases, not God's phrases. In God's phrase, in God's, in God's plan, everyone lives as long as they're supposed to live to accomplish this purpose on earth, right? They live just as long, maybe not as long as we want them to live. But from God's perspective, which is eternity, everyone lives long enough. Listen, compared to eternity, what's the difference between a four-year lifespan and an 80-year lifespan? From eternity's perspective. Do you think when you consider living all of eternity that the person who lives four years will look at the person who lives 80 years and say, boy, you got to live a lot longer than I did. Not compared to eternity. Here's what I know about that four-year-old or that six-year-old. That six-year-old is not asking questions that we ask. That four-year-old is not asking the questions that we ask. We raise our hands in questions. They raise their hands in praise. We, we, lift, we lift voices of, of, of fear and sadness. They lift voices of worship and joy. Because they know they accomplished what God intended for them to accomplish, however short that life may be. And then they were delivered. They were taken by God into their eternal home. And that eternal home offsets anything that we may go through on earth. And that eternal home is the subject of this last question. It's, it's, all, it's asked by one of our members at the Westside campus. So look on the screen. Hi, Max. My name is Sandy Vidal from Westside Fellowship. Um, mine is my family. I have a husband and three children and two grandbabies. But we've been wondering, what will our heavenly bodies look like? Will we have wings? Uh, will we have a wardrobe, uh, white gowns? Will my husband have hair? Will I be 30 pounds lighter? Can you answer our question? I don't know about the hair. But I do know that we can get excited about the heavenly reality that awaits us. Jesus gave us this promise. He said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. And I am going there to prepare a place for you so that when I am finished, I will come and take you so that you may be with me where I am. 
He has gone to prepare a place for you. Listen with this thought for just a minute. Let it sink in. That right now your heavenly father is preparing a place for you. A place. A touchable, tangible place that you can walk on and step on and walk through and smell and hear and listen and enjoy and delight yourself in. He is preparing a place for you. He is preparing you for a place. He is preparing you for a service, for an assignment in this eternal kingdom. He wants you to be thrilled about what awaits you on the other side of the grave. He wants you to step into your final moments with courage, with joy, with excitement. Yes, even with invitation. I saw an example of this courage in a great movie. And I want to show you a clip from it. The movie is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's based on one of the installments of the Narnia series written by C.S. Lewis. You may know this series. In case you don't, let me just acquaint you with the characters so this little three-minute clip will make sense. The lion is Aslan. He represents God. The children, or at least in this case they're teenagers now they started off as children they're teenagers in this episode they represent humanity they represent all the people there are several animals in the series but the clip you're going to see just has one animal and he's my favorite Reepicheep Reepicheep the valiant mouse and Reepicheep the valiant mouse has always dreamed of seeing Aslan's kingdom or heaven. Now, in this scene, they're on a beach. It's at the end of the story. They've had a mighty battle to get here, but they have reached this beach, and behind them is a great wall of water, and this wall of water is what separates them from this life and life in Aslan's, Aslan's kingdom. And they're trying to determine if it is time for them to enter, to cross over the wall of water and go into Aslan's kingdom. Pay special attention to Reepicheep the mouse. You have done well, very well indeed. You have come far, and now your journey is at its end. Is this your country? No, my country lies beyond. Is my father in your country? You can only find that out for yourself, my son. But you should know that if you continue, there is no return. Imagine my father would be very proud that I gave up what he died for. I spent too long wanting what was taken from me and not what was given. I was given a kingdom, people, 
promise to be a better king. You already are. Children? I think perhaps it's time we went home, actually, no? But I thought you loved it here. I do. But I love home. And our family as well. They need us. Your eminence, ever since I can remember, I have dreamt of seeing your country. I've had many great adventures in this world, but nothing has dampened that yearning. I know I am hardly worthy, but with your permission, I would lay down my sword for the joy of seeing your country with my own eyes. My country was made for noble hearts such as yours. No matter how small their bearers be. Your Majesty. No one could be more deserved. Well, it's true. May I? Well, I suppose. Just this. <laughs> Goodbye, Lucy. Don't cry. I don't understand. Will I not see you again? Ever. What a magnificent puzzle you are and a true hero. It has been my honor to fight beside such a brave warrior and a great friend. I won't be needing this. Let's go out that way. Let's go out looking for the next life. Let's go out volunteering. Let's be the one who stands before the king and says, All my life I've dreamed of seeing your new country. Let's be the ones who hear him say, Well done. My kingdom was made for noble hearts such as yours. Let's let our final thoughts be full of courage, full of hope. Not full of anxiety, not full of dread. Let's take one last breath on this earth, knowing that the heavenly air awaits us at our next breath. Let the rest of the world be afraid to die, not us. We've met God. And God has told us that awaiting us in the next life is a new kingdom. A kingdom in which he is preparing a place for us. 
He will reclaim the Garden of Eden. Don't think for a moment that heaven is all about sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp, wearing wings, and wishing you'd brought a magazine. You will explore this creation as you were intended to and I was intended to. In the entire cosmos, all of the galaxies under God's sovereign hand will be reclaimed by the king who created them. And you and I will delight in his ever-expanding and growing kingdom. Yes, he is a creator. Won't he continue creating? And finally, the universe will be at peace with the creator. No more groaning, as Paul says. This universe is groaning, waiting to be delivered. No more earthquakes and disasters and droughts. The earth will be in complete harmony with the creator and we will enjoy it in new bodies. Yes, this body is not a temporary tool by God's plan. He created it for His purpose. Your body, this physical body, to display His glory and for you to use in the next kingdom. It's not a pup tent that you discard on this side of the river and cross over and float around in the next life. No. You will have a material body. Yes, this body with this personality, with this distinguishable features. You will have this body void of decay, void of disease, void of death. You've really never known a healthy body. Ever. I mean, you were born inhaling airborne bacteria. You were born destined for this body to die. That was the plan that was inaugurated after Adam and Eve fell. That this body, inheriting such decay and sin and death, would be put off. So it could be resurrected from the dead and joined with your soul to serve with God forever. Not just with a new body, not just in a new world, but also, listen, in a new society. A sinless society. You know what makes this society difficult? is that every one of us want to be king. Every one of us wants to wear the crown. You want to be the king of your life? I want to be the king of my life, and sometimes I want to be the king of your life. We're all trying to run everything, control everything. But on the day of judgment, Jesus Christ will be seated in the throne. Every person who's ever lived will be there, and every person will bow down and proclaim Him as Lord. And those who have proclaimed him as Lord on this life will serve with him forever in the next life. Those who have rejected him as Lord will have their request honored and they will be separated from God forever. For there will be no insurrection permitted in the new kingdom. But those who are voluntary servants, even sinful servants, but servants nonetheless, will be participants in the new kingdom. That's something to get excited about, isn't it? Listen, think about heaven. Heaven is the green vegetable on the spiritual diet. You need it every day. You need to think about it a lot. The Apostle Paul says, fix your eyes on things above, not things below. Fix them. Think often about things that are to come. I close with the story of John Todd, a pastor in New England during the 1800s. As a young boy, he was born into a crowded family, so many children, too many mouths to feed. And so about the age of six or seven, 
it was decided that he would be sent to New England where his aunt would raise him. Imagine it. be a troubling decision. The aunt was happy to receive the boy. She didn't have any children of her own, and she had enough money that she could care for the boy and raise the boy. She even had a servant by the name of Caesar, and she sent Caesar in a wagon to pick up the boy and bring him to her New England home. John Todd remembers remembered that journey the rest of his life. He remembered asking Caesar some questions like, is she kind? Will she want me? And Caesar would say, oh, she's very kind. And yes, she'll want you. He remembers asking, will she be waiting on me? To which Caesar said, oh, she'll be standing at the door. She'll have a candle lit in the window. And sure enough, as they crested the hill and looked down in the valley, there she was standing at the door with a candle lit. She raised John Todd. He became a pastor. Later in his life, the roles were reversed, and he became caretaker to his aunt. She, as she was nearing death, he wrote her one final letter. It reads like this. My dear aunt, Years ago I left a house of death not knowing where I was to go, whether anyone cared, whether it was the end of me. The ride was long, but the servant encouraged me. Finally, I arrived to your embrace in a new home. I was expected. I was safe. You did it all for me. Now it's your turn to go. I'm writing to let you know someone is waiting up for you. Your room is all ready. The light is on. The door is open. And you are expected. You are too, my friend. Your Lord Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you, is preparing a place for you. May you live every day between now and then with courage and hope, knowing that he will get you home safely.